Today is September 21st. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the U.S. imposed Canadian border is the Blackfeet. North of the border is the Siksika, Gunai, and Bigani of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with the signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, the Wesley Chiniki Bearspaw Nations, the Sutina Nation, and I acknowledge all Indigenous that are First Nation, Métis, status, um, non-status, Inuit, are all across Turtle Island as keepers of this land. Um, any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I think I know as I walk down the red road. I'm Michelle Robinson. I was born in Calgary as Michelle Elliott, another very English name, which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknife Dene. My father is so Canadian that I'm a daughter of Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act imposed status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage, and I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, the Great Bear Lake people, in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to the area of Clincho Tine Indehe in Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. My spirit name is Red Thunder One, uh, given to me in ceremony. So... My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support to those who have signed up. Amanda, Amy, Ashley, Diana, Dustin, Joni, Judy, Julie, Kenna, Matt, Sharon, Nathan, thank you for signing up. Um, if you value listening and you can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments, questions. We're now on Google Play iTunes and Stitcher and nativecalgarian.com is also up. Uh, violence is my everyday reality. Every indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast just to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions as many people don't want to hear indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell theirs. And usually by people who know nothing about indigenous, nothing about colonialism, Nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests and our visuals and our rights have. Uh, people dealing with internalized racism, those who are gatekeepers, who thrive off the status quo, or who are so in their trauma, they stop other people from doing the good work and uh, deplete resources. We have internal and external racism every day as a reality for Indigenous people. And a podcast was needed in order for me to even be heard uh, without interruption. So my hope is my daughter and my family will be proud of me in the future trying to discuss these present-day issues in a way that they can understand down the road. I want to start by talking about cultural safety uh, so that you can create a safer place for Indigenous, people of colour, and LGBTQ2 plus to speak. Um, as always, do something. Having good intentions is not enough. You have to take action to make pl uh, make change. You have to speak out against racism. Uh, you have to ask questions of those with more understanding. You have to find allies and create a support system for yourself to create um, and help you advocate for culturally safe approaches. You have to take responsibility for your own learning. You have to read, reflect, and ask questions. And do not expect this learning to always come from Indigenous people with all the resources that are available. 
Take the time for self-reflection. Be aware of your own assumptions and biases. Question everything you've ever learned about Indigenous people and take active steps to actively disrupt the stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understand colonialism. The legacy of racism is an ongoing, difficult task. Here to help.bc.ca gave us that resource. Um, and then I talk about internalized racism. And that's a situation where the racism system, system that is set up that um, oppresses a group of people and supports the supremacy and dominance of the other group. This becomes something that's within ourselves, and we start seeing it in four different dimensions of inner, interpersonal, institutional, and cultural. And if you Google, um, you know, racialequitytools.org, you will find out more about internalized racism. Uh, if you see racism happening, there's lots of resources for what to do as a bystander. So if you witness public instances of racist, anti-black, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, or any other form of oppressive interpersonal violence and harassment, use these tips. Uh, do make your presence to the witness known. Um, if possible, make eye contact with the person being uh, harassed and see what you can do to support. Move yourself near the person being harassed, if possible, and you feel that you can do so without risk. Uh, create a distance or a barrier between you and the attacker. Um, if it's safe to do so, the person being harassed can sense, film, or record the incident. Always take cues from the person being harassed. As this person, um, do you want me to walk with you over here? Do you want to move to another train car? Do you want him to leave you alone? Ask questions that you think are non-intrusive and are safe to do so. Um, notice if the person is being harassed is resisting in their own way and honor that, especially white folks. Don't tone police the person being harassed. Uh, follow up with the individual being harassed after the incident is over and see if they need anything else. Do what you have to to keep your bo both of you safe. Assess your surroundings. Is there others that you can pull in to keep you safe? Working as a team is a good idea if it's possible. And can you just move the person to a safer space? Don't call the police. For many communities that experience harassment that are Arab, Muslim, black, queer, trans, indigenous, immigrant, the police can actually be a greater cause for danger for the person being harassed. Don't escalate the situation. The goal is for the person being harassed to be safe and not incite further violence from the attacker. And violence can sometimes just be verbal. Please remember that. Don't do nothing. Silence is dangerous. It communicates approval and lets, leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous or too afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed to communicate your support with your body. Um, so all of this is available online. I definitely uh, encourage everyone to check in with the person if you see somebody being verbally or physically harassed in any way um, to stay with them as long as possible because they, you know, everybody gets embarrassed. Everybody um, internalizes these things and then it becomes a oh, gaslighting situation where people gaslight themselves. Anyway, it could go on and on and on. Today is a really special day because um, uh, I reached out via Twitter to uh, a community member that has been doing some really fantastic work under some awful situation. And um, I want to introduce, well, actually, I'll let you introduce yourself. Would you like to um, join me on the line here and tell me a little bit about who you are and, and how it is we connected? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, so my name is Rasha Eldid, 
And um, I come from a Lebanese background. My parents moved uh, to Canada about 26 years ago, and I was born in Montreal. Uh, we, I grew up there until I was about four years old. Um, then moved to Windsor about um, for about 10 years and came to Calgary 12 years ago. And so we, um, my parents, and then we were four girls. And so we were, we, I guess, considered that we were raised in uh, both Windsor and Calgary. Mm. And back in March uh, 2018, I guess really um, what has been really mostly my story is that my sister was uh, was murdered on March 25th, 2018 in the early mornings. And it was at the hands of a man that she was seeing for a few months um, after he was persistent on dating her. She had, um, he decided to take matters into his own hands and he murdered her. And um, the reason why the story kind of, um, just brought so much light to it was because of the fact that her murder was just extremely violent. Uh, my sister, um, well, he, uh, the, the perpetrator, Adam, he picked her up from a downtown shisha bar at around, uh, I believe it was 2.40 in the morning. And uh, he drove around for about an hour, an hour and a half. And she had made a phone call to a friend um, at around four in the morning. Uh, saying that she, he was not returning her to her car and saying that she needed to get home and that her parents were going to be, or our parents are going to be worried. And afterwards, about a few minutes later, um, he parked behind, um, behind a home, home in the Northeast and he proceeded to stab her about 40 times and then he slit her throat. At that time, Nadia decided to get out of the car and he, ha- he purchased a semi-automatic rifle um, legally. And he shot her once, and that made her fall to the ground. And then the final shot, he stepped on top of her and shot her on the side of the head, and he killed her. He was um, he was on the run, so I was the person that um, ended up kind of going on a hunt to find out where my sister was because she never came home the night before. And um, so when I encountered the uh, crime scene, I was told that it was Nadia that was murdered in the backyard, and Adam was on the run. Within 24 hours, they had uh, given out a warrant that he um, was being charged for first-degree murder. About five days later, he was uh, he was found in a town in Evansburg, about an hour away from Edmonton. And after they went on a high-speed chase for about an hour or two, they finally blew his tires, and he um, jumped out of the car and started shooting at RCMP officers right away. And they and it, um, I guess. When everything happened, he they killed him um, just because they they thought that that was kind of um, the solution because he started shooting at them and there was it was a really violent um, violent shootout mm-hmm. and so it's uh, it's about it's been about six months since that happened and a lot has happened um, kind of like since that six months. Yeah, I bet. Um, I'm really sorry that you lost your sister and that you lost your sister in such a violent way. Um, I can't imagine how awful this has been on your whole family. Mm-hmm. It's been, uh, it's definitely been a six months that has um, kind of been things that have ha- are happening positively, but also the most trying time because grief has, a, it's a very weird process where it's not linear. It's very back and forth in regards to thinking you're okay and then, thinking that, you know what, how am I going to get through this? So it's been a very, very challenging time for my family and I. Incredible. Um, something that I seen on the on the internet last night was uh, you were in the news. Would you want to maybe tell us a bit about that? Of course, yeah. So I actually, 
So I was able to, I, I guess I, I, I missed the, uh, the explanation on how you and I connected because I did see that you um, retweeted the, tr- the, the tweet um, mm-hmm. that was posted for the Calgary Herald. And then um, you followed me back and then you messaged me. And so that's how we, we got into contact. And so uh, the reason why um, the Calgary Herald's approached us is because um, I had started communicating with James for James which is um, a charity organization that um, is about empowering women to empower themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had launched a program for um, like a scholarship program and they decided to make a first scholarship out um, in my sister's name, Nadia L. did. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the Calgary Herald was really interested in telling that story. And so they came over and, and did a little bit of a photo shoot. And um, it's just really pushing the agenda and about the domestic abuse and, and being more aware and creating more discussion around that. Yeah, that's incredible. And mm-hmm. I think that uh, when I when I was reading it, I was like, this is what we need more of. Um, one of the things that we, we did a pilot project through my nonprofit. My nonprofit is uh, 12 Community Safety Initiative, and it's not mine. I just, because I work there, I say mine. But, uh, you know, I'm the Indigenous Liaison, and we had a, a women's safety sharing circle. And we found mm-hmm. that that was really great for empowering, um, mm-hmm. you know, but we, we had to cut it short and we realized that we definitely need to be getting a lot more funding, a lot more grant money in order mm-hmm. to get the right people to come in and talk about, you know, what empowerment is and, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, getting self and self-defense instructors. Um, they're expensive. They're not cheap and rightfully so. Yeah. And we don't want to ask everyone to do everything for free. So right now we're just, uh, you know, working on the, on a bigger plan of, you know, if we had funding for a year, this is what it would look like and go from there. Mm-hmm. So to me, having, uh, this kind of charity and, and this kind of work, it's, it's just so needed. And if I can promote anything that's, uh, you know, positive about, uh, an awful situation, I would in a second. And I think that there's so many gaps that, uh, there's all these need for nonprofits. Um, I was going to talk to you a bit about um, missing and murdered Indigenous women. Uh, mm-hmm. We've had a real blow today, today out of all days, um, here in the Northeast as well. We had uh, an Indigenous woman, her her nation's from Masquachis, and she mm-hmm. um, was brutally murdered by a man on the sea train who wanted to date her, and she was like, no, no. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and he brutally murdered her. And it, unfortunately, all of those details are in the sun as well. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, he, he raped her. He, um, took a rock and smashed her head. That's how he killed her. And we had done a vigil here in the Northeast, right where she had passed away in Moscowchis. They brought in a, a van and, or a, a bus of people. And, and, uh, we had a vigil because the way we, we do things is that we have to do the vigil within four days. Um, yeah, so her, her family, you know, had to bury her and, and do that. And the killer, he has been on trial the last couple of weeks and her family have been connected with them via Facebook and, you know, really struggling to just be here and hear these awful details of what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, and now as of today, they found out last night, the jury went drinking and we're in a public area. And because of this, this, there's likely going to be a mistrial. And so the family's going to have to go through this all over again. And Mm -hmm. uh, they're beyond upset right now. It's a Mm -hmm. real blow to our community. This was before um, we were talking about uh, Cindy Gladue. Cindy Gladue is an Indigenous woman who was murdered up in Edmonton. And, um, you know, I... 
I uh, think this is a great example of the disconnect between Canadians and Indigenous because she's an Indigenous woman. I don't think a lot of Canadians were really paying attention, but it's mm-hmm. a super uh, key conversation to have for uh, rights for people in general because um, this will affect all Albertan women, all of them, mm-hmm. like Indigenous and non. Um, so just to give you an, an overview, um, she was born in Athabasca in 74 and moved to Edmonton. She was the firstborn of Donna and her father, Lawrence. Uh, but apparently she was Cookham's girl. So she loved her grandma. And in our culture, it's quite normal for um, grandparents to be basically the ones almost raising the children. Um, that's just our culture. Um mm-hmm. Her mom describes her, I was a lot like you and I. She loved life and had a family and dreams and emotions. She was kind and caring and funny. She was a beautiful woman inside and out and was deeply loved. Um, but in court, the Crown prosecutor, her, uh, Crown prosecutor regularly referred to her as a prostitute, the native girl, the na- native woman, and not her actual name, really dehumanizing her. She was described as native 26 times by Crown Counsel, Defense Counsel, and Witnesses. Um, she actually ended up bleeding to death um, as a because of a wound inflicted on her by Bradley Barton. He was a trucker. Um, when the police initially told her family of her death, they reported it to him to them as natural causes. Days later, to their surprise, he was arrested for her murder. Um, the reason why this is so important is. Um, this is being um it went went to trial already and is being appealed and so the people appealing it are actually two indigenous organizations here out of Alberta and they're working at talking about the problems within the the system and how they dehumanized her and um they actually cut out a portion of her sexual organs and they brought them into court and um that is the part that it's really disappointing that we can get, you know, 5,000 people to march for Hillary Clinton in the streets of Calgary, but we should be having everyone marching against um, what happened to Cindy Gladue because ultimately that can happen to any Albertan woman now, now that this presence have been, has been set. So, um, and, you know, obviously it was really re-victimizing and traumatic to her family. Um, we have um, a basically a national day of action that's going to happen there's multiple locations across canada and um i don't know if you know of josie nipponak she's the executive director of Awutan healing lodge and um she contacted me and said you know we're i was contacted about doing a rally we need to do it on september 25th to be in solidarity with the other actions so um, that's what's happening here in Calgary. We're going to have it at the Harley Hodgkiss Gardens. Now that's right by the um, Calgary Courts, right behind the C-Train station. That's where we had our very first Cindy Gladue rally. So um, we're going to have some speakers. We're going to start at 3. And uh, so far that we have uh, Aaron Solomons from the Elizabeth Fry of Calgary. She's confirmed. And Tyler Mackinaw from the Calgary Legal Guidance. He's going to speak. We're going to be speaking, obviously, about Cindy Gladue's case and uh, violence against Indigenous women. So that rally is going to be happening. I'm praying for good weather. So just and not for the whole day. We can just have it from three to four thirty. We're not asking for a long time, just a small time. <laughs> and the information that we have on our on the Facebook page, we're going to be um, 
putting in flyer form to hand to people who are going by and, uh, you know, asking questions, what is this all about? Because I mm-hmm. think it, we, it's really important that we try to tell as many Canadians what is happening, um, because mm-hmm. this is bigger than just violence against Indigenous women. This is now state violence against all Canadian women, and we need Canadian women to get behind what we're saying. So, you know, um, I'm sure you heard my intro and I talk about the violence that women in Canada face. You know, I ran for city council for mm-hmm. Ward 10 because I really feel, um, you know, safety from an, from, from women's point of view, from indigenous women, from women of people, uh, women of color. Um, you know, there's a lot of intersectionalities that are just completely missed, which is no wonder why we're being murdered, um, at such an alarming rate. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about um what we're doing and I know we talked a little bit about um allyship and you know trying to uh work together a bit more and mm-hmm. I know whatever that you're doing I would like to do as well uh mm-hmm. promote mm-hmm. what you're doing um and then hopefully in return we can we you know start those uh cultural partnerships and and go from there. Yeah, exactly because it's just um and that's the thing we have this commonality of just um, of domestic violence, especially against women. So to be able to bring multiple co- cultures to have more of that awareness and to speak more about our experiences, I think is really important in order to, to kind of like combat it and to be able to talk about it more. Um, so I think there definitely needs to be a shift more on the fact that we're all united for one cause. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I've been part of the East Calgary Family Violence Collaborative and, uh, you know, this is uh, a collaborative that has many different agencies on board and we do have very specific needs for immigrant uh, families and the model that we've been set up on is, uh, you know, the Christian model set on intimate partner violence, but, you know, um, we uh, the term family violence is the better term at times because, it's bigger than just intimate partner violence at times. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that, uh, you know, we need that understanding more across all cultures. And I know, uh, just to give you some background about Awutan Healing Lodge, um, one of our elders here in this area from Siksika, her name is uh, Ruth Scalplock, and she used to work at Sherrick King, and she knew that there was a real lack of understanding on Indigenous issues so she worked really hard at establishing uh, a indigenous uh, center for for you know women fleeing violence, and mm-hmm. uh, the term awutan means shield woman in uh, mm-hmm. Blackfoot, and that's beautiful. Yeah, that's that. <laughs> that's why it was ended up being called that. And she, I mean, I'm ten years of lobbying, working with Ralph Klein to finally get it established, and uh, now it's just had its 25th anniversary, and it is open to all cultures, but it's one of those um, places that is open to smudging and, you know, having that Indigenous understanding where mm-hmm. sometimes family violence means that grandma and kids are all coming together as opposed to, you know, the interfamily or the uh, what intimate partner family violence model that the, you know, other women shelters really stress upon. And I think mm-hmm. for, um, especially the Muslim community, I've had many conversations with my friends about um, what that looks like and how different it is and, you know, yeah. apprehension of, uh, you know, a young girl and um, how that dishonors the family. 
there's so yeah. much conversation to have about that and yeah. um you know and it's not a muslim issue it's more of a yeah. like I, I i had a wonderful um two-day seminar with Aruna Pap, who identifies as Christian, and she talks about it just being a part of the culture in general, mm-hmm. um, and, and how different it is and how ill-equipped uh, Western um, attempts of intimate partner family violence is so you know, <laughs> lacking when it comes to understanding bigger concepts of uh, mm-hmm. what family violence looks like. Do you want to elaborate on any of that? Yeah, for sure. So, um, And it definitely is like a cultural... Um, like a cultural, I guess, um, problem because of the fact that there is that, um, that fear of the, the, not the consequences, but the repercussions of coming out as a woman who is abused in her family, in the family dynamic is that, um, the fact that women are raised to tolerate their men and that, um, in order, like, that's how you should be kind of in the family concept or relationship or even, like, as a married woman, that you shouldn't leave and that you should uh, you should tolerate your husband and that you will bring that family shame if you ever do leave your husband. Uh, so that is, is the biggest pressure when it comes to women who are in these domestic abuse situations because they don't have a place to go because, unfortunately, the parents don't want to take their, their daughters because they believe it's a shame to the family and the community that she's leaving her husband. And then so women don't have access or they don't know the access that they do have um, for these shelters to be able to leave their husband. And, and because of the fact that um, we were actually having these discussions too is that um, in order, they control their women by um, by really restricting them financially. So a lot of the times, uh, because a lot of these women don't have that educational background or don't have, um, you know, that, 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 that work because a lot of the time they are stay at home moms. These men control these women by not giving them the financial freedom to be able to leave if they ever needed to. Mm-hmm. So that's why a lot of women feel like they're not able to leave these situations. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely a cultural problem. And we acknowledge that because, because we've heard those stories and we've heard of these women that, that, Yes, they would love to leave, but how are they going to go out there in the world because of their lack of education, because of their lack of job experience? Um, so mm-hmm. there's definitely a bigger issue to tackle, not only to be able to give these women these opportunity to leave, but also to change the social stigma in our community, in our culture, that a woman is allowed to leave. And why are we shaming these women for staying when we should be shaming these men for inflicting this pain, whether mm-hmm. it be emotional or physical to these women? Yep. So there definitely needs to be yeah, a bigger conversation and a bigger shift um, within the community for sure. Yeah. Um, I find it really interesting cause I like, there's so much racism that's rampant in what, you know, growing up here in Canada. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I, so I was born here in Calgary, but I grew up, uh, all in Alberta. So I was in my, my dad's from Saskatchewan. So I was in Yorkton for, um, a couple of months, but, uh, Fort McMurray, Sylvan Lake, Calgary, I've, this is where I've always lived. And, mm-hmm. you know, everybody wants to talk about all oh, those people and their their violence, blah, 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 blah. And I, I yeah. just laugh at that because, you know, I grew up in uh, Sylvan Lake where it was predominantly white. Uh, mm-hmm. At the time I was there, there was only 2000 people, but there was like seven Christian churches. And yeah. um, like, let me tell you uh, how many kids I knew were getting regularly beaten um, mm-hmm. or their their mother was getting regularly beaten. Yeah. And these are, you know, mm-hmm. so-called good Christian uh, families. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it really was upsetting. We had uh, mm-hmm. one murder and she was the uh, owner of the bowling alley and she was killed by her husband. We all knew it was her husband, but conveniently, 
um, the RCMP could never, you know, have the evidence to com- to to prove all of that and and mm-hmm. him go through that whole thing. It was really disappointing, yeah. and um, you know, it was big news. Like, there's such a small town. We had the RCMP had this big trailer come into their parking lot, and then after a year, you know, it it was gone, and nothing was really going to ever happen mm-hmm. there. So it was yeah. super disappointing as a you know young girl growing up knowing how, you know, not valued really girls were in general. And that, I mean, there's, I I bring it up because I, one thing that really bothers me is when people talk about um, domestic violence and they're quick to say, oh, well, you know, it's that race, it's this race. And it's like, no, it's not. I grew up here. I know way better than that. I, I remember, you know, hearing disgusting misogynist jokes coming from people in leadership like Pierre Elliott Trudeau and Ralph Klein like just disgusting comments being made about women and um you know that was normal that was okay uh you know mm-hmm. Bert, uh, what was his name Burt Reynolds he just died everybody's all, all upset I mean I remember him beating up Loney Anderson um I remember Sean Penn beating up Madonna like that I grew up mm-hmm knowing it was perfectly acceptable for men to hit women. And mm-hmm. uh, so I get really offended when people try to make it a race issue because it's like, no, exactly. you know, look yeah. at the stats. The stats are awful. And these are people willing to talk about it, not even the people who are still too ashamed to talk about it. Yeah. And it's um, when we actually, like when you mentioned that, when we um, visited Evansburg, we went to go see the RCMP officers. They told us that for that small town, there's an astounding number of domestic violence calls all the time. And that was a very, very small town. Yeah. And um, and they say that a lot of the times these women aren't able to leave because of the fact that they don't have those resources and they're not yep. able to make that commute to Edmonton, which is the closest nearby city, and there's no shelters in those small towns. So these women are always in these, in, are, are in these situations where they stay with their significant other, their spouse, yeah. because of the fact that there's no shelters and there's no way that they're able to financially leave their partner. That's right. I um yeah I I wish that people understood the gravity and how gross it is. And a lot of people come here from other countries thinking this is one of the best places in the world to be. And it's like, well, if you really looked at our you know stats. And, and you've yeah. seen how many women are being murdered and killed by yeah. whether they're random strangers or their intimate partner. You wouldn't mm-hmm. think that of this area. So, yeah, you know, I was, try to speak that truth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. That that was kind of like, I, I think that was something that was really hard for my parents is that they came as an immigrant family fleeing from Lebanon. And... Um, they they came here for that safety for myself and my sisters and they came here for a better environment and this happened to their daughter and that was also like a big shock because they think oh yeah you know like that happens back home it would never happen in Canada but the reality is it happens in Canada somewhere mm-hmm. where we should be safe so Absolutely. that was definitely something that was really hard on my family yeah um i you know i i didn't give you any of my background but when i mm-hmm. my first memories of life are you know literally um my parents fist fighting So, Mm -hmm. you know, that was my first, um, you know, example of seeing how women are treated and then, you know, hearing my entire life negative derogatory things said about Indigenous people and women in general. Um, You know, it's a lot to unpack. And and just to be honest about the situation, I mean, I I meet a lot of women that are like, I no, I've never heard of any of this. And I always think what an incredible amount of privilege you must have to not know any of this. I mean, how do you read the paper and see those stats and not look around you and realize if, you know, there's five women in the room, 
one of you are probably experiencing domestic violence and shame, exactly. you know, yeah. or um, the stats are pretty bad for sexual assault and, you know, how mm-hmm. many women. Mm-hmm. Me Too has been so phenomenal at empowering that voice of yeah. how how bad sexual assault really is in, in North America. Exactly. And it is like the statistic realistically for for Canada and these are really recorded and reported incidents that one like every six days a woman is murdered mm-hmm. um, by a significant other and again like it's not even talking about the missing and murdered indigenous women so I wouldn't be surprised if that statistic was even like a lot more drastic than what it is and every six days is still really it's really hard to to grasp the concept but just knowing that it's not reporting the mis- missing and mur- murdered indigenous women yep. um i can't even imagine what that statistic would be like yeah no it's been it was really interesting when i had my daughter um the moment i could get her into martial arts i did and i actually found mm-hmm. this you know very small one that had just a couple of women in it and they were willing to you know bring in my little girl as you know as early as 3 to start you know teaching her how to roll and fall and you know make it fun at first but you know now she's 11 and in Muay Thai and uh it was shocking to me the amount of martial arts that were like oh we don't even uh, uh, start you know martial arts for girls until the age of 12 or whatever and I just laughed I said you know how many um indigenous girls are you know either raped or assaulted by the time they're 12 and uh you know it's it's a real wake-up call to a lot of these Mm -hmm. organizations that you got to start making it more age inclusive and um I mean I I agree with what you said earlier where it was more why are we not shaming men um, mm-hmm. you know, bad jokes leads to like the, the violence pyramid is there, um, for everyone to see. I, I don't understand how more people don't know these things. So mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. I really applaud the work that you're doing. I, I want to support the work you're doing. I want to encourage, yeah. you know, cross, um, collaboration in any way that we can. So exactly, yeah. yeah, that work you're doing with, um, is it gem to gem? Gems for gems. Gems yeah. for gems. All gems right. for gems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they've been. Uh, they're, they're they're. I really like their organization because of the fact that they're also wanting to tackle this matter by going to the root of things, which is um, empowering these women to not go back to their abusive relationships mm-hmm. and to be able to stop the cycle of abuse, which is really important. Yeah. Um, the shelters are there, which is great, um, but it really is almost about. It, there really needs to be this 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 change of how we it's almost like we have to reset our minds and our mentalities to be able to to prevent these situations from happening um because you have to tackle it in in all areas women to defend themselves but also to change the way that men think in regard to the possession of women because Mm -hmm. that's really why um Anna murdered my sister it really was the issue of if I can't have you nobody else can and so he felt like he was entitled to her what I don't like we don't know if it was mentally physically or anything like that but he felt like he owned her and therefore if he can't have her then you know what he's not like he he murdered her that was mainly the reason why Hmm. well Again, my deepest condolences to losing Thank Nadia. I, Rasha, I really appreciate you sharing everything that you did with me today. And of course. It's mm-hmm. just good to finally meet community members that are, yeah, you know, obviously yeah. doing the same type of work and talking about exactly. the same issues. And mm-hmm. the more united we become, I think the stronger we will be. And, uh, exactly. you know, there will be lots of Indigenous families that have had completely injustice complete injustice happened to their family along the way. And I'd I'd love to meet you in person on, on Tuesday. And I hope that, um, you know, we can unite our voices more and 
hopefully in the Northeast here, you know, have Mm -hmm. a more culturally sensitive um, domestic violence shelter for the, for families. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that is culturally sensitive because that's my big concern is that lack of understanding and that, you know, colonial, we're saving you mentality that never ends up saving anybody. It makes it worse for everyone because it's not culturally sensitive. Exactly. No, that's very true because it just, there needs to be more, um, like more awareness of what other cultures actually go through when they do leave their domestic partner because it's, it's, a, it's, it's such a deeper issue because of the fact that there is that society expectation and then that there's this societal pressure of what is going to be said about me if I do decide to leave this relationship. Mm. Whereas I find that Canadians don't have that much of that, that pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's seen more as, um, like within their society, within their community, it's seen more as something like as brave and as great. Whereas with our culture, it's very much a shame and it's very much a dishonor. Um, so there's a lot of that that has to be tackled. Mm-hmm. Um, and so definitely there needs to be when, like with those shelters, um, to be more, um, cultural awareness of, exa- especially the process of how you're, when you're leaving your partner and just having that confidence, um, when you do decide to make that big change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really grateful that you shared everything you did. Thank of you for course. being on yeah. my show. And um, no problem at all. Yeah, yeah. we'll uh, we'll keep working together and and move forward yes. together. And hopefully, mm-hmm. in the future, we'll be uh, having more of an update on a possible shelter or something to m- maybe a collaborative. I know there's a few other people in the community that I'm sure we know, but we'll talk about that later. And I'm I'm just yes. really grateful you came on the show so that we could yeah. meet you. Rasha, mm-hmm. tell your story and honor your sister Nadia because it's the most important part to me about talking about these things is that we elevate the, who the people are and we never ever forget them and we we honor them as warriors. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it is like you mentioned before, it is about making people uncomfortable because especially when we found out the details of how Nadia was murdered, we definitely had this kind of back and forth of should we tell people, should we not? But that's what made us really be like, you know what, let's make people uncomfortable and show them that this is happening. This is happening here in Canada where we should be safe. Yeah. So that's why it really is about making people uncomfortable. And we're very much pushing for that. We're like, let's make people uncomfortable. And I know my family is really behind this. So they were also, um, I think my dad and maybe my mom might be coming on Tuesday with me to be able to support you guys too. Oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah we'll we'll have to talk more then and just make sure that everybody's comfortable and mm-hmm. uh, hopefully let's pray for good weather. <laughs> yes, yes, that's the biggest one. You know, I don't, I don't even know. I'm just, I just wake up these days and see that's what the weather's like. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those who do not know, um, we're both here in Calgary, Calgary's northeast, and uh, we can tell you we're at uh, 3,500 feet. And we have like severe weather changes and pressure changes. And, um, you know, today's already uh, two Advil day. And I was mm-hmm. in the stores, other people complaining of the, uh, you know, migraines they're having. So, <laughs> yes, yes, I know. And sometimes it's like, like we live um, all the way down in Evergreen. So it's it wouldn't be raining here. And I have people like some friends that are in the north and they're just like, yeah, we just had this hail storm or this downfall. And I'm like, I'm in the southwest. I don't see anything here. <laughs> Funny story. You know what? I yeah. was traveling from the northeast here. I had to go down to Sutina, so way in the southwest. And I'm not mm-hmm. kidding on my dash. It went down like three degrees from, you know, five up to eight. And I was like, oh, it's nice down here in the south. I right? <laughs> <laughs> it really is. That's why I don't 
trust the weather prediction. No. Because, okay, it's going to rain, but I'm down here. Is it going to rain here? Is it in the north? <laughs> no kidding. Well, what a pleasure. Yeah. I can't wait to chat with you more. Thank you yeah. so much. Of course. Thanks for having me. And I really look forward to meeting you on Tuesday. Awesome. Well, I, I can't thank my sister enough for coming on here and chit-chatting with us and explaining to us what unfortunately happened to Nadia. So thank you for coming onto the show, Rasha. I appreciate it. And uh, it was lovely talking with you a bit um, off air as well. I can't wait to meet you on Tuesday and we can go from there. Um, so Tuesday, again, is our breaking point, the rally of uh, solidarity for Cindy Gladue's family. Uh, I also want to put on everybody's radar that the uh, Calling Back My Spirit is put on by Joey English's family. They want uh, everyone to come and walk with them from Bacani all the way up to Calgary. Uh, October 4th, National Sisters and Spirit Vigils all across the country. And uh, the Calling Back My S- Calling My Spirit Back Walk will be um, meeting up with the vigil here in Calgary. I want to th- say a big thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom, to show me what strength really looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be blunt and strong. Uh, my stepmom for teaching me to be what um, proud Calgarian really is all about, be proud of my culture. She taught me that through her culture, her Austrian family, her roots, and just stepping up and being there. Um, you know, it's through her I get to call myself a proud second-generation Calgarian. Um, I want to thank my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing the show on top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father to our child, and support all, all through this journey of the Red Road. He's witnessed decades of racism and sexism. Our child that we're blessed to learn from daily, she honors us every single day and gives me that accountability to be a stronger, better person. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to say thank you to my previous donors for showing their support. Um, I have a friend named Barbs, and she actually gave me a a big one-time donation. I want to say thank you. I went and spent that money today to go uh, for the Cindy Gladue rally so that I can give um, at least some sweet grass to my speakers and say thank you to those who come. So thank you for that donation. It's really valuable. Uh, If you value listening and you can afford to give, thank you to those who cannot afford to give. But listen in. I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments, your questions. We're now on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and nativecalgarian.com is up. So I want to say thank you again to Rasha for being my guest. And uh, we'll talk to you another day.